if you're an aspiring ampersand and you're seeking a job, you know, in corporate America per se, and you're an artist, like really emphasize your transferable skills, your creativity and ability to think outside the box actually makes you stand apart, especially for artists and musicians. You can really see the big picture, but also have really great attention to detail. What fuels a multi-passionate life? I'm Jessica Wan, and in this podcast, I interview people who straddle two completely different worlds. I call them ampersands, and we are collectively designing the Ampersand Manifesto. It's my pleasure to talk today with Stephanie Wu, marketer and cellist. Steph has appeared as a soloist with the National Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. As one of the 101 musicians selected from 33 countries, she performed in the YouTube Symphony at the Sydney Opera House in 2011, a life-changing experience that inspired her to get an MBA from UC Berkeley and become a marketer at Google. Today, Steph works at Coursera, where she helps others reskill as she did. Steph graduated from Harvard with a double major in social studies and music. She also holds a master's degree in cello performance from the Royal Northern College of Music. Steph, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jess, for having me. It's such a delight to be here. Steph, when you were a kid, what did you imagine your adult life would be like? Could you have guessed that you'd be straddling two worlds? You know, I don't think I ever imagined that I'd be straddling two worlds. I think I remember in high school, we had to come up with like a list of 30 things we do before we hit 30. And I think I imagined myself being like a cello teacher at one point, or even I think middle school, I thought, oh, I'll be a meteorologist. But it was always like singular. I never really thought I'd be having two careers at the same time. It wasn't until college, my senior year, I was attending this business-oriented program for seniors, and the career services director, and he just asked, like, how many of you, you know, have a passion that you want to, you know, pursue and think you'll have like a day job and then have something else on the side to support, you know, your passion? And I think I was like the only one who (laughs) raised my hand in the audience. And he came up to me and then he said, did you know that you are a two career couple? And I was really confused by that. I'd never heard of a two-career couple. I think of myself as a singular person, but I'd be straddling too. But I think your phrase of ampersand makes a lot more sense in my mind. But I I think it's the same notion, right? Of like a two-career couple and ampersand kind of straddling two different careers. And I think I only started imagining myself, you know, straddling these two worlds in college when I was also doing a double major in, in social studies and music. And it was during that time, just even trying to advocate for that major because I actually even got pushback from the Harvard Social Studies Department. They said the social sciences cannot mix with the humanities. The interesting thing about at Harvard is that they're not called double majors, actually. In Harvard speak, it's joint concentration. So I actually had to fuse the two. I actually had to write a senior thesis that combined both like musicology and like the sociology of music. So ever since college, I've been trying to fuse or find ways to straddle these two different worlds, if you will. That's so interesting. Oh my goodness. I want to meet this guy who called you a couple, which I also agree is very confusing. (laughs) But it sounds like he was exploring this thing that I'm exploring. Right. 
20 years ago. So if you have his name, please send it along. And wow, Harvard, I wonder if this stance has changed. I have to say, almost everyone I'm interviewing this season had a double major in college. But this is the first time I'm hearing that Harvard forces you to combine them, which just makes me feel a little uncomfortable. But it seems like you saw it as an opportunity. Yeah. And so I think things have changed. I've heard, so I'm not sure. But back then, like even before me, there was a guy who did a joint concentration in music and physics. Mm. I heard, this is before my time, he even wrote an opera called Les Fizz, which is, I thought, (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) Um, So um, he was my inspiration. So my senior thesis in college was I... um, was fortunate enough to be selected to play in this orchestra at the Pacific Music Festival in Japan, which was founded by Leonard Bernstein. His goal was really to atone for the sins of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like the atomic bombings. That was like his last creation right before his death. And so I played in the orchestra. I interviewed a lot of people. It was my senior thesis to just analyze the role of Pacific Music Festival and how they have kind of enshrined him, <laughs> Leonard Bernstein. They, t- they still refer to him as the founder, but he's definitely very, very much removed from the festival. So it was really interesting to just try to find ways to fuse my interest as a musician and then also in sociology. It's so funny you bring up Leonard Bernstein because he's also such a shining example of an ampersand multiple times over, right? Oh, yeah. Composer, conductor, and now it's coming back to me. I actually wrote one of my college entrance essays about these talks that he gave. Oh, yes. About music. Right. And it's so interesting that, you know, he was also combining sociology or even social justice with music. Yeah, In your work today, you work at Coursera, you help people reskill. How is social studies and music coming up for you now? Coursera's mission is all about transforming lives through learning and really creating socioeconomic opportunities for people who might not otherwise have it. And so I recognize that I've been blessed with educational opportunities. And so I want to create the same kind of level of education opportunities for others. And so That's why I'm so passionate about Coursera. And then in terms of music, there are some music courses on Coursera, actually, uh, which is interesting, too. But I think where we used to work, Jess, at Smule, like enabling people to experience the joy of music making without, you know, even having access to instruments or lessons, just just being able to create songs through an iPhone. I think that was also a very, like, meaningful mission for me. So just reflecting on my life and all the educational opportunities I have. So yeah, I think social studies, I'm not reading Marx or Freud, which is what I had to do (laughs) back in (laughs) my Harvard social studies days. But I think it's all about changing the world for the better and recognizing all the, you know, the social economic trends and, and seeing how learning education is really the solution to a lot of the issues that we're facing now, like climate change, et cetera. It's just educating people. And that's really the key to changing the world for good. In your TEDx talk, you talk about finding harmony in your work as a marketer and a cellist. How are you finding harmony right now? And how has that changed over time? Since you mentioned my TEDx talk, I actually purposely use the word harmony instead of balance because I found 
even ever since high school, it's always been just shifting priorities from one to another. Actually, one of my friends in, in high school, I thought, put it beautifully. You know, you, you can juggle three balls in the air, but like at any one time, you always have like two in your hand and like one's in the air. And so I find that like the third ball for me, outside of marketing and music, then is family. And so that mm -hmm. has really changed the way I've been able to balance the two careers after, you know, getting married and having two kids and they're quite young, three and six. So I've definitely had to shift things as my family life has changed and also with the pandemic. But now actually I think working from home has been a blessing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the chance just to squeeze in five, ten minutes of cello playing in between meetings. Actually, this Saturday, I'm playing at an outdoor concert at Stanford Live with um, Diane Reeves, a Grammy-winning jazz singer. And so I'm super excited to be playing again in front of public audiences. I even invited my teammates today. I tried ways to fuse and also just demonstrate to my direct reports and, and teammates that, you know, there is life outside of work and that you can exercise creativity, you know, both in in marketing and also outside. Yeah, it sounds like a wonderful performance opportunity. So you also say in your TEDx talk that music from time to time, it's helped you get unstuck. And you reference that uh, Einstein would play his violin when he was working on a tough physics problem. In your experience, what actually happens in your body and your brain when you play music? When it's really moving when the music is just just so gorgeous and the chord changes or the harmonic structure is supportive like I literally get shivers down my body and I always treasure those moments like even when I'm on stage playing in an orchestra with like a hundred people and we're all like creating this beautiful music together I sometimes get that but I think also music has memories so anytime you know I'm playing something that has historical or sentimental significance that also brings joy. So for me, music is also a way of conveying emotions that you know we may not always be able to express through words, and so that's why I really value music as my outlet. That's Stephanie Wu on the cello and Jenton Lee on the piano, playing a cover of Adele's Someone Like You. Let's pause here for a moment so you can reflect on this question. What's your outlet for expressing what words can't fully capture? Outside of hosting this podcast, I coach leaders in the workplace to navigate change, thrive in their roles, and stay true to their values. And I love working with ampersands. If any of this intrigues you, 
reach out to me at jessicawan.com. J-E-S-S-I-C-A-W-A-N. Now, back to the show. You spent a few years after undergrad working in philanthropy, and then you made a pretty big pivot over to marketing. I'm curious how you realized that you wanted to pivot, how you managed that pivot, and what did you learn from it? Well, I think the realization that I wanted to make the pivot was the YouTube Symphony 2011 experience. My friends told me about the audition deadline like six days before, so I I had very little time to put together a video, but I'm grateful that I was given that opportunity because once Google flew us to Sydney and seeing the multimedia live performance streamed on YouTube with millions of views and, and just how the marketing aspect of the show was really attractive to me. I, I realized too that I, I wanted to be working in a more fast-paced environment. Philanthropy, while it was really rewarding, giving money to nonprofits who are trying to change the world for good, again, the pace of change and innovation was glacial. So that's why I wanted to work in a startup environment that was a little more faster paced. And that was why I joined Smeal. And the reason why I picked marketing was because I felt it really enabled me to exercise both my creative skills and my analytical skills. And so that's why I've stuck to marketing. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get a taste of marketing through the evening and weekend MBA program at UC Berkeley. So basically after my experience with the YouTube Symphony in Sydney, when I got home, I started studying the GMAT just to get into business school. And then I made the pivot from philanthropy to marketing, I think my first year of the three-year evening weekend MBA program. I actually just ended up picking courses throughout the course of my MBA program, trying to hone my skills as a marketer after you know the first year I discovered marketing was my passion. So I then I used the next two years to try to hone my marketing expertise. And then the rest is history. What fuels you to keep going with straddling these two worlds of marketing and music, especially now as the mom of two young kids? You talked about how the pandemic has really affected live performance. What do you hope the future is going to look like for you? I really hope that my daughter and son realize like they don't have to be one single thing. I think at one point my daughter was saying she wanted to be a ballerina and now she wants to be an architect, but she could do both. You know, I want them through my example to see, you know, you can be a musician and a marketer or, you know, something else. So I hope to see more ampersands in the world. And in terms of what fuels me, I think it's my children and also just the joy that I get from pursuing these two very different worlds. But actually, I think there's actually a lot of parallels between marketing and being a musician. I would say um, in my role right now, I have to come up with creative ways to express a campaign message. Like there's the the main you know business message or value proposition we want to communicate to our different target audiences. And we need to come up with creative ways to express that message through paid media or social media or email or webinars, different channels. And I think the similar tactic that we're doing as musicians, like I take what Beethoven has written or Mozart, kind of like what a product marketing manager comes up with, right? And then I interpret it myself and try to come up with creative ways to say that that same material. Yeah, I just see a lot of parallels every day <laughs> between marketing and music. And so that that also fuels me. Steph, you've mentioned to me that one of your proudest moments in your career is becoming a manager at Coursera. And some of your direct reports have even said that you are the best manager that they've ever had. 
What do you think from your music side has contributed to you being a great manager? I'd say music has really honed my listening skills and also my hunger for learning and constructive feedback. For me, I, I think from my, my musical experiences, I've learned to place people over performance because I know if we put, if we enable people to bring their best selves to work or to music, they will be able to perform and soar. So that's, I think I've just tried to carry that philosophy um, in terms of managing my direct reports and just making sure that their, you know, robots are removed and that their concerns and their feedback are really heard and, and actioned. I think I really learned a lot of my skills, like in, in terms of communication and collaboration through chamber music. And that's my true love. I've mentioned orchestra in the, uh, previously, but I would say, I think, chamber music, which I really owe my high school orchestra teacher for introducing me to chamber music when I was a freshman, because I think that's where like the art of teamwork is really learned. And since then, I've played in lots of different groups from trios to quartets to quintets and so forth. And I think it's been the key to think just learning how to, you know, say in a you know polite way, like, hey, can you play softer here? Or like, what does this movement like mean to you? Like, is it outdoors? Is it indoors? What is the setting? Like, do you think it's morning or night? And that's something that one of our coaches encouraged us to do. And just coming up with even adjectives to describe the nature of the music, that's always fun and a creative outlet. I think that's the same even at work when we're trying to come up with like campaign visions too, just to try to come up with like a collective vision so that we're all aligned and on the same page. So since we're all rowing the same boat together. Oh, what a fantastic way of describing the parallels between music and people management. Uh, and there are so many. Your team is super lucky to have you. Oh, thank you, Jess. Something that strikes me, Steph, is that as long as I've known you, it seems from the outside that you have been actually really comfortable in your ampersand identity and kind of entering a room with your full self. And I would say the more ampersands I've been talking to, I'm finding, you know, sometimes we are so focused on bringing our full self to, you know, the, the one part, the, the marketer or the doctor or, or whatever, that we, for that period of time, we kind of forget about that other side. I'm curious if you agree. And also, what advice do you have for ampersands to bring their full selves to everywhere they go? I would say don't be ashamed to um, to embrace and share your other side. So I would say back in my philanthropy days, I think I was more reluctant to share my, my music side. But then I think after Smule, I realized like where people embraced music, like music was, was our like part of our mission statement, right? I think I felt more comfortable bringing my cello to work. And the fact that we had jam sessions on Friday was great. And a lot of people were musicians. And I think that really made me feel more comfortable embracing my ampersand side. And even when I was in business school um, at UC Berkeley, I was also playing in the Berkeley Symphony. So believe it or not, on Thursday nights, I would like go to my class, which started at 630. I think, well, I would have dress rehearsal before like three to 530. And then I would go to class 
for a little bit and my professor knew that I had a concert that so I would skip the rest of the class because it was from 6 30 to 9 p.m and the concerts would start at 8 so I would literally go from the Haas business school and then run to Zellerbach to play <laughs> to play this show and so that's just an illustration of how um, I've been straddling those two worlds. But now, after embracing my two sides, I think at, even at Google and at Coursera, whenever I mention, you know, I'm a musician or that I'm offering free tickets for like a Harry Potter concert, that was the last thing I did before the pandemic, by the way. People thought that was cool and they embraced that. I mean, it sounds like you have found places for your marketing life where being an ampersand is is not just accepted, but encouraged and cool. And, you know, people are really into it. And that's really fantastic. What advice do you have for people who are either pursuing or thinking about pursuing an ampersand lifestyle? I would say make sure that you have the family support. I would say I would not be able to do what I'm doing without my husband right now. And I would say he's been so supportive. So those nights where I am playing concerts, you know, he's putting the kids to bed. And so I think really also if you're an aspiring ampersand and you're seeking a job, you know, in corporate America per se, and you're an artist, like really emphasize your transferable skills, your creativity and ability to think outside the box actually makes you stand apart especially for artists and musicians, you can really see the big picture, but also have really great attention to detail. And so I think when you're interviewing for jobs, really emphasize that you have these superpowers, these creative skills and collaborative skills that, um, as you know, as I mentioned earlier with chamber music, I think musicians especially are great team players. I think they're really like athletes. I think the same way that like former athletes, you know, um, become product managers at Google or et cetera, you know, the, the Olympic athletes, um, they exist at Google and I was always in all of them. Like, I think the same for musicians who are in many ways athletes as well. What do you think should be in the ampersand manifesto? Just be flexible um, and be creative like I was, you know, straddling between business school class and and my orchestra concert. You have to be creative. I even remember in college, I would be eating a bagel while walking like with my cello on my back. I would just go to the dining hall, grab a bagel. I just didn't have time to sit down and eat breakfast. And so maybe I missed out on like some great dining hall conversations occasionally. I'm sure I did, but you have to keep focused. And I wanted to, you know, be able to still play cello and excel in my academic courses. So that's kind of what I did. I just ate breakfast while walking to my next destination, whether it was the practice room or the class. And I think that's something that I've always done in my life. I was reflecting, actually, I took my kids to an amusement park, Great America, recently. And, some, you know, there's a line for the rides. And I was reminded how in middle school, I would, while waiting in line at Disney World, I would just study. <laughs> I know it's very nerdy. Like I just studied the SAT. It was because I had to take a test to get into the Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. But it was just recognizing, just trying to optimize your time. You really have to be really creative in how you use your time and figure out how to be the most productive without without killing yourself. I think I still try to find time to relax as much as I can. But my husband is there to help me and remind me <laughs> to slow down and take take a breather and relax too. I'm hearing so much of, you know, making the most of your time because you know what matters. And I am hearing so loud and clear, 
family matters, music matters, and helping others, helping others through your work at Coursera, that really matters to you. And yeah, it sounds like some practical advice is get a a comfy pair of shoes for when you're running from one place to another. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Steph, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. Folks, you can check out Stephanie's work on LinkedIn. She is Stephanie Wu, that's W-U, and there's a comma, NBA. If you like this show, hit like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow ampersands. I had a chance to reflect on my interview with Steph and wanted to share a few key takeaways. Steph mentioned the company Smule a few times, which is where she and I worked together about 10 years ago and really got to know each other. It was a rare opportunity to combine our business and music identities. And yes, we really did have jam sessions in the office. For multi-passionate people, know that there might be unique opportunities that come up in your life to fuse your interests. Grab these opportunities when they come. And if they don't come to you, you can create them yourself and keep creating them. Secondly, I really loved reflecting on Steph's answer about how musicians make great people managers. At the core, making music with others is all about lifting up your fellow musicians and making something as a whole that is bigger than each part. She brought up so many great managerial skills, giving constructive feedback, coming up with a collective vision, and people over performance. These are all foundations of music making. Lastly, Steph's ampersand has really been a lifelong endeavor, and at times something that she had to fight for to even be able to study both of them at the same time. She talked about another Harvard student who had a joint concentration on music and physics. This brought up for me the folks in my formative years who were models of the ampersand life, so I just want to take the opportunity right now to give a few shout outs. Jane Wong, who was one of the only other double majors in product design and music. Maggie Siska, who's now a pediatric endocrinologist, but also directed the first college musical I was in. And Jen Cho, an attorney and improv artist who introduced me to so much Sondheim. Thank you. I realized I couldn't do music 100%. It was too much, actually, for me to live, breathe, eat music 24-7. And it was actually really heart-wrenching for me to make that realization. Like, I thought, oh, you know, music, I'm so passionate about music. Why can't I make it, you know, 100% of my life? And I realized, like, I I need to embrace the fact that too much of a good thing could also be (laughs) unhealthy. Like, ice cream. I love ice cream, but if I ate it 24-7, I couldn't do it either.